Welcome to North Coast Calvary Chapel's audio podcast. Today, Mark Foreman will be starting a new series, Transforming. We hope you enjoy. Well, you can see that our sermon this morning is transforming. And I've called it that, transforming, because uh, as you know, we have the motto in our church, transform people, transforming our world. But uh, if you ask the question, uh, are we really transformed in the past tense? It would be, no, actually, we are transforming. And so I've kept it in the participle form, transforming. Uh, but it's the process of you becoming the new you. And uh, I want to talk about that in just a moment. But let me just begin by answering the question why I've chosen uh, th- this subject. Uh, probably the number one issue is the fact that the idea of you becoming someone else, you changing what the, what the church used to call sanctification, is largely a forgotten truth. It's on the back burner of the church. Uh, we understand that I was saved, which means I'm forgiven, I'm justified. We understand that I will be glorified when Jesus comes again. That is, I will be saved and the process will be complete. But the Bible also teaches in the present tense that I am being saved. I'm being saved from myself, from from sin, uh, from uh, what I would have done or could have been. All of this is happening in me now. And so I want to focus on that and take it off of the back burner and bring it out right into the front and center. And uh, I also want to make clear that when I use the word sanctification, the reason I'm not going to use that very much in this series is that word sanctification somehow developed a negative connotation largely in the church. There were things that were taught uh, that you shouldn't smoke, you shouldn't chew, and you shouldn't go with girls that do. And, and there was, there, for a hundred years, the church kind of focused on behavior. And those of you that come from the holiness movement, you'll know that the, the church in the older generation would teach people that you're a sinner if you wear makeup, you're a sinner if you go to movies, you're a sinner if you dance, you're th- those kind of things. And so we looked at that and said, wow, you know, I don't think I want anything to do with sanctification, uh, but it's a good word. And it's the word that's a synonym to transforming and you becoming what God has called you to be. So it's a great thing for us to learn. The other reason I want to study this is that you and I live in a culture of transforming, transformation. If you're not aware of it, you're not living in this culture. This culture is obsessed, obsessed with becoming something else other than what I am. You're on a diet, you're exercising, you're in therapy, you've got a life coach, uh, you've joined a new night class, you're learning a new this, you're going to this, you're going to that. Even our vacations have become not just a vacation, but a transformational experience. And uh, so since our culture is all about transforming, why not the church say, hey, actually, that's our best song. (laughs) Why are we not in the conversation? Hello? Why are we not in the center of the conversation? Because here's why. If you ask any of your neighbors, all right, uh, 
Diet, what's the goal? Uh, well, I just want to lose some weight. For the purpose of, just want to get into my pants. <laughs> and you say, that's it? That's the whole goal in life? That's it? Uh, you know, I'm in therapy, and I just want to heal up some past wounds and just learn some coping skills and... And if you say, for the purpose of, uh, just don't want to be sad. That's it. You and I have the Holy Grail. You and I know what the end result of transformation is. The image of Christ on earth. Whoa! Now, some of you that are visitors here for the first time, you'll think I'm a cult leader, <laughs> because you've never thought of this before, and I'm not suggesting at all that you become God, but we have the answer. See, everybody else is sailing without knowing where the harbor is. You and I actually know what we're sailing towards. We think dieting is great, and therapy is awesome, and all these things are great, 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 uh, but... When we ask the court, for the purpose of, well, it's not actually all about me. It's for the purpose of me becoming more into the image of Christ. So here's a question for you. And this is going to challenge you a little bit. If I were to ask you, in this life, what percentage can you transform? If 100% is the image of Christ, and zero is you right now. No offense, none taken, I hope. Uh, how much percentage-wise in this life can you change? And most of us would say, well, you know, if I said 89%, that would be proud and arrogant, and that would mean I'm, I need to be humbled, and I have to slide it back down a little bit. And... <laughs> But if I say 1%, that's like I'm not really cooperating with the process. So uh, I'll slide it up to 3%. But I'd ask a question, why? Your spouse would like it to go higher. <laughs> why, why, why would you not, in this life, under the power of the Holy Spirit, change more and more and more? So I, I don't want to get into the details of it, whether it's 19%, 39%, 53%. I, I don't know. But I think the question deserves being asked. And the other reason I want to study it is because the church largely has approached transformation passively. Passively, not actively participating with the Holy Spirit with the attitude of just like, I don't know, how, how does a person change? Beats me. You know, the stuff in me that needs to be changed, I couldn't do it anyway, so whatever. You know, it's just, and if I don't change, it's God's fault anyway, because he should have changed me, but he didn't. So, uh, you know, it's just passive. When the Bible presents an active participatory Christian. Another reason why I want to study this is that I believe it's the heart of God. 
In the beginning, God said, let us make man in our image, male and female. He created them and let him rule. So God, from the very beginning, wanted you and I to be the pinnacle of creation. You might say, well, yeah, but sin happened. We fell. Didn't work out. But Jesus came in the full image of God, and now we have met Jesus, and we are being transformed, and by golly, God's going to have his way. That was the plan. The plan is going to happen, that we, by the power of the Holy Spirit, are being transformed. It's the heart of God. It's the plan. And when we begin to talk this way, it breathes hope into our lives. I mean, I look in this the mirror just like you do every morning and that's a hopeless experience (laughs) but it brings hope to me to think that I could one day be like the person I love Jesus like the one who's impacted my life so my premise is that when we are saved when we are converted something radical happens And that radical conversion carries on into your life, and it doesn't just push pause while you rock in a hammock drinking Dr. Pepper to the rapture. That you are being changed. It's like the launching of a ship. You know how they crash the champagne bottles on the the bow of the ship, and then they launch it out into the ocean. You see this big splash that goes out. It doesn't just stop there. It goes. And God is working in your life. So how are we going to approach this? I'm, I want to put you at ease. I'm not going to do anything crazy. Uh, I'm not a fan of a teacher that just pulls bits of verses and scriptures from everywhere. And you don't know how they came up with the idea, but somehow because they used a verse, then it must be true. Uh, we're going to stick to eight different passages where I'm going to take the passage apart just like we always do every Sunday morning, expositionally, put it back together again so you know how the cook fixed the meal. There's no razzmatazz here. And you're going to see that this is not only important in the Scriptures, but I would dare say two-thirds of the New Testament is about you being transformed. Did you know? I mean, half of Paul's epistles are all about transformation. Sermon on the Mount is all about transformation. And what we'll study here this morning is all about it. So what will we learn? Well, the target, we want to learn what the target is. What does it look like to be in the image of God? Secondly, what are the secondary benefits? If, If this process is happening in my life, what would be the secondary benefits? And how does, it pro- how does the process happen? What is the anatomy of transformation? Here's a question. How much can I transform? Who does the work? What's my part? And if I'm transforming, how is my transformation connected to you and your transformation? Here's a big question. What do I do with the, uh, the dark side of you and me? You know, the hidden part, the closet part, the attachments on your soul, the addictions, the sin. What does God do with that? 
What do we do with the stinking thinking? You know, the stuff that goes on between the two ears? That's, you know, I'm telling you, it's the thinking that's the stinking, you know? It's, it's just where we rise and fall. What do we do with changing that? And have you ever noticed the side effects that begin to happen as you are experiencing this, the wonder that comes into your life, the love that comes into your life for other people, how you notice things that you didn't notice before. And are we going to become so heavenly minded we're no earthly good? Or are we really talking about becoming fully human? See, we're not just seeing what God is like. We're actually seeing what a transformed human, what God had in mind from the beginning is actually like. So as we begin, here's the questions. What if? What if you could increase your happiness and joy? Would you do it? What if you could get rid of your negative thoughts? Would you do it? What if? You could change the atmosphere and tone of your family and marriage. Would you do it? What if you could go to work with meaning and purpose? What if you could be more loving, kind, gentle, courageous, wise, and joyful? What if you became the kind of person you like to be around? (laughs) And finally... What if we could live with love, joy, and peace that carried us through trials and hardships? And what if all of that is centered around the image of God? So in a moment, I want to pray as we launch into it, but as we even get into this subject, I'm reminded of a movie I saw as a kid called Snow White. Scared the living daylights out of me, you know, this... uh, this uh, queen that turned into a witch, you know, and carried this apple, (laughs) you know, but she would go to this mirror and say to the mirror, what? Mirror? Mirror, mirror on the wall, who's the fairest of them all? And the mirror kind of said in its own way, it ain't you, babe. And what you'll find me suggesting is it ain't you, babe. So it's not through you obsessing over yourself some more. It's not through you trying harder. It's not through you seeing yourself more and more and more, which is where our culture is at. It's by you looking at the face of Jesus. And you will become what you look like. What you look at is what we are becoming. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your faithfulness to us. Thank you, God, that you save thoroughly. We invite you, even in this hour, to come by your Spirit and take these words and pass them 12 inches to our hearts, that we might open our hearts, expand our hope to believe that you are working in a way that we could not even imagine.
We pray this, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. So we begin, we're in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. And the verse reads like this, And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. That's a lot there, but the first thing we read in this verse are the first three words, and we all, all believers, no matter who you are, we get to participate in this great process of becoming what God has called us to be, all believers, we all. So the context here is Moses. Moses as Paul unpacks it in 2 Corinthians, Moses has this encounter. And if you read the passage in Exodus chapter 34, Moses, as you remember, is hidden in the cleft of the rock, and he's asked to see the glory of the Lord, right? He's heard that God will forgive Israel for worshiping a golden calf. And he's thought, wow, we didn't know that you could be a forgiving God. I want to see your glory. The audacity of of Moses to just say, no, it's not enough for you to just go with us into Israel. It's not enough for you to forgive us. I want to see you. And God says to Moses, you can't actually see me face to face. You you just couldn't handle it. You'd implode. But uh, I'll let you see the rear part of me go by but I will declare my glory to you. So listen to that. Audibly, you're going to hear my glory. And so he goes by, and we'll study this in a moment, but he goes by and declares his glory to Moses, and Moses glows. He has this encounter with God where he comes down the mountain, and he's glowing. And he begins to wear a veil over his face so that As the glow disappears, they don't know, the people don't know that he's fading. I'm melting. You know, it's not still there. So he begins to wear this veil. And so Paul picks up on this idea, and and he uses this veil further in a way that I'll explain to you to say that all Israel today, like Moses, wears a veil in front of them, so that keeps them from seeing the full glory of God. They're hidden from that. But the difference here is only Moses saw the glory of God. All the Israelites, Moses was the priest, the intercessor, the one that got to have the great moments. The rest of the people were just people. And it's kind of a picture of all of life. We're just people. Things happened in New York and Washington and L.A. that we don't even know anything about, but we're just people. People ha- Things happen in priesthoods, but we're just people. Pe- people ha- things happen for kings and queens, but we're just people. And we tend to approach God that way. I'm not a saint. I'm just a people. And so... Paul wants us to know when it comes to transformation, we all. Hello, we all, we all are drinking this Kool-Aid together. That we're transforming. And it's not just Mother Teresa or St. 
Teresa of Avila or St. John of the Cross or all the other saints. It's, it's you and me. We are transforming by God's grace. Joel, in his uh, great prophecy, he summarizes all of this by saying, I will pour out my spirit on all people, all flesh. And I want you to notice how he incorporates all the people. He says, uh, your sons and your, your daughters will prophesy. So we got the young people and we got the female gender prophesying. And, and, and it says, your sons will prophesy. So we got both genders. But then he says, your old men. Any old men here? We're in there too. Uh, we, we got some young men. And then it, the next verse takes it into the socioeconomic category. And it says, your servants, which could be translated slaves, the people that are on the bottom rung of the socioeconomic strata get to look like God. Wow. And on the men and the women, I will pour out of my spirit in those days. And we're in those days. Peter said on the day of Pentecost that it's happened. It's begun. So you and I are tasting of something that's pretty radical and it's all inclusive. And this is so imperative because when we think about the transformational culture we're in today, it isn't inclusive. It's only for the people that took the right vitamins. It's only for the people that found the right life coach or the right therapist. It's only for the people that had the money for that operation, that surgery. It's only for the people that could go to that school. It's always exclusive. It's rarely inclusive that everyone gets to drink of transformation. It's related to appearance. If you got the beauty, if you got the brains, if you got the bucks. But here, it's inclusive. Does anyone remember the book? I think Mark Freestead alluded to it, not last sermon on fatherhood, but the one before that. He alluded to the Velveteen Rabbit. Do you remember that story? Here's the reason you like that story. You, in the story, are the Velveteen Rabbit. And the Velveteen Rabbit, this stuffed bunny, that there's nothing wonderful about it. It's just an ordinary stuffed bunny. But the bunny wants to become real. And in the story, becoming real is what the image of God is. It's you becoming the real you, the authentic you, the you you've always wanted to be. We sometimes wonder about when Jesus comes into my life, does he eclipse me? And I don't know how to be me. I just got to be Jesus. I don't know how to be Jesus. I, no, he takes all the good in you, all the idiosyncrasies, personality profiles, all the enneagrams, whatever you're doing, the best of you. He's not eclipsing that. He's enhancing that. But at the same time, the stuff of you that should not be there, that the worst of you, he takes away like a cookie over a cookie dough and just pulls it away and says, never look good on you anyway. <laughs> so in the story of the Velveteen Rabbit, 
The Velveteen Rabbit asked the skin horse, what does it mean to become real, and how does it happen? Do you have to be a wind-up toy? Do you have to be one of these flashy, painted toys that all the kids want to buy at Christmas time and breaks within three days? And the skin horse responds. He says, oh, becoming real is not that at all. It's, it's how you're loved. And when you're loved a long, long time, so loved by the little boy or the little girl that your hair begins to fall out, <laughs> your ears be begin to flop, that you begin to become real. It's a process. And why we like the story is because who here is a wound-up toy? Who here is flashy with batteries? And who here does Hollywood or Washington or New York say, we need you because you are so amazing? We're just us. We're velveteen rabbits. But the Bible says we all. So this transformation is for all of us. And if the velveteen rabbit can change, there's hope for you. Secondly, transformation happens not by focusing on ourselves. This is, again, counterintuitive to culture. It doesn't happen by focusing on ourselves. He says in the text, who with unveiled faces contemplate God's glory. So we focus not on ourselves, but we focus on Christ. Jesus actually taught this way. If you think of all the instances in the Gospels where Jesus was counterintuitive to culture, it feeds right into this thinking. For example, Jesus says, if you want to be great in God's kingdom, you must become the servant of everybody else. Counterintuitive. Jesus says, the least will be the greatest in the kingdom of God. Counterintuitive. Jesus says, if you want to find yourself, you must lose yourself. Also, he says, deny. Yes, that will be acceptable on the test. <laughs> so this counterintuitive idea is that we're staring at Jesus, not ourselves. The whole culture is saying, stare more at yourself. Be, be more obsessed with yourself. But I'm suggesting the gospel presents a, a Christ obsession. And indirectly, I end up finding myself. Some of you might remember Prince Caspian, a uh, great story that C.S. Lewis wrote in his series, The Chronicles of Narnia. And this is one of the early comeback appearances of the four children into Narnia. And uh, they come back, and it's a, a, a stage in the, the kingdom of Narnia that's like a thousand years later. But they're, they're still them. And they come back into this kingdom, and they're trying to get to a place that's all overgrown with forest, and they don't know the way. And Lucy, who's the littlest of them all, and it's important, L Lucy always shines because Lewis wants you to know the least or the greatest. Just like Tolkien in The Lord of the Rings wants you to know it's the hobbits, the little people that change the world. So Lucy 
sees the lion Aslan. And she begins to say to the other kids, this is the way. And the other kids say, that can't be the way. That's dangerous. It would be wrong. And she says, no, I saw Aslan. And if we follow Aslan, we'll find our way. And the other children begin to mock her and criticize her that she doesn't know what she's doing. She's just a little girl. Until, finally, the other three actually see Aslan. And they realize Lucy's right, that if we follow the lion, we'll find our way. In the same way, as we follow Jesus, he's going to show us who we are. The other way, the other path is overwhelming. You'll be lost in a maze of self forever. You'll be chasing your tail forever. I almost found myself. (laughs) But if you keep saying, for the purpose of, for the purpose of, it's always going to bring you back to the highest purpose, which is the image of God, and we find that in the face of Jesus. So with unveiled faces, we see the Lord's glory. And so unlike Moses, who had this veil that becomes an image of how Israel was kept from seeing the glory of God, we have the veil removed because we have seen in the Gospels the person of Jesus. We know what he's like through, through all the things he says in the Gospels, through all the acts that he does in the Gospels. We know what he's like. And then through the epistles, we know what the face of God is like. So we don't have veiled faces anymore. We know. And then he uses the word I want you to think about, contemplate. The literal is behold, to stare at. One of the translations has the other secondary meaning, which is to reflect. And I think most of the interpreters today would say it's actually the context asks us to think of beholding, not just simply reflecting. It's true that we reflect God's glory, but the way we're transformed is by beholding who he is. To give you a supportive text for this translation in in verse 18 of chapter 4, Paul's still talking about this in 2 Corinthians, and he says, but we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. So we're fixing our eyes on the eternal Jesus. We're not fixing our eyes on temporary culture, temporary fads, temporary things that you think would give you an identity. Um, There's so many lower things that are saying to you, this is your identity. Folks, with our obsession on sex, can I just say that is not your identity? Your gender is not your full identity. Your education is not your identity. Your occupation is not your identity. Your neighborhood is not your identity. Your clothes are not your identity. Don't believe the culture anymore. There's a higher identity. And that identity is none other than the image of God. There is no other higher identity than the identity of the image of Christ. So how do we contemplate if that's the process? Well, think of all the places and times that you have beheld the glory of God 
You, you did it when you studied scripture. Have you ever had an aha moment where you read the scripture and it's just kind of like, whoa. You just hear that funk that just went 12 inches from your head to your heart. Whoa, funk. That was beholding. Or you saw someone that was Christ-like. That was beholding. Wow. Who would have done that? That was amazing. Or you're taking a walk in nature and creation. It happens to me every time I look at the stars. Our last vacation, I saw at least two nights, I saw the Milky Way. Funk. That's beholding. And then sometimes in prayer, a lot of times in prayer, I'm just jabbering. You know, God, and don't forget this, and I need you to do that, and you know, there's, forget, you know, but, but when I just stop and say, God, and, and if there's anything you want to say to me in the next two and a half minutes, <laughs> it's better to give him more time. Sometimes a slow talker. In those moments, there's something that's beholding that happens. You know, the contemplative movement that would emphasize techniques, and techniques are great, fasting, solitude, prayer. We'll talk about techniques later on in another message, but those are just techniques. Those are not beholding. You may or may not behold when you're fast. You may or may not behold when you're in solitude. But it's the beholding that you get a glimpse of Jesus. That's who you are that you, there's a kickback, like a rifle. It affects you, and you are transformed in an increasing manner as we look at him. So how is that different than belief? Nothing. It's not different than faith. It is by faith, because in that moment, I re-believe what I believed. I mean, you believed when you accepted Christ, but now you see him more clearly, and you believe it. And it's in the faithing, the refaithing of the moment that I am being transformed from one image of glory to another. And if you ask the question, what does the glory of God look like? We'll study this more in the future messages, but just to give you an hors d'oeuvre, you want just like a, an appetizer? little duck taco or something. Uh, <laughs> Exodus 34 gives us what Moses heard. Let's check that out. The Lord passes by Moses and he declares, can you put Exodus 34 on the screen? He declares, the compassionate and gracious God. Now, is that what you would think of if you were going to tell your friend, your neighbor, if they said to you, so what's God like? Does the first word out of your mouth come compassionate? Oftentimes, Christians, the first word is, well, he's a judge. He's going to judge you. Aren't you glad? <laughs> I love the fact that he's compassionate towards me because compassionate means he understands me. Like, oh boy, Mark, it's you again. <laughs> All right, well, I have a lot of compassion for you. He's gracious, the second word, undeserved love. The third word 
is he's slow to anger. Do you know what that is in the Hebrew? It takes a long time for his nose to get red. <laughs> you know, certain races and people, their nose will flare up and get red, not just from drinking, but just, uh, just anger. It's just like, whoa, back off. His nose is red. Rudolph is here. It takes a long time for God's nose to get red. He's slow to anger. And he's abounding. It overflows his love and his consistent faithfulness to you. And he maintains that love not just for you, but for thousands. And yes, he is forgiving, but guess what? He forgives the big stuff. Oftentimes, when we ask God for forgiveness, we minimize our sin. We say things like, God, I want you to forgive me, but you know, a lot of people do what I did. And you know, everybody's doing it. Well, do you see what you're, you're minimizing the greatness of your sin? Why do, you need, why do you need to minimize it? Well, because God might not forgive me. I love this text. It maximizes it. Let's call it for what it is. Wickedness, rebellion, and sin. And that's what he forgives. That's a big God. Another passage which we could look at to consider God's glory is Galatians chapter 5. Most of you know this as the fruit of the Spirit. So have you ever seen a person that you would say, wow, I love to be around them because they're so loving they're full of joy. You know, I don't want to be around Christians that look like they've been baptized in lemon juice. I want to be around joy. I'm already too uptight. I don't want to be around uptight people. I want to be around peaceful people. That's who Jesus is. What about forbearing? Back in the 60s, we used to do a thing called the limbo game. And that, I could do that when I was Gumby. You know, I'm flexible. You know, I, I, I can't do it anymore. I love to be around flexible people. Don't want to be around people that, well, got to walk on eggshells, really upset them, really upset them. He's forbearing. He's kind. He's good. Everything he does is good all the time, faithful, gentle, self-controlling. And guys, that's a manly man right there. Women, that's a womanly woman right there. Those characteristics. So we've seen some of these characteristics in people we know, but all of those are in Jesus, and that's what we become. John says, when we beheld the glory of Jesus, we saw him full of grace and truth. So in the next few weeks, we're going to behold the glory of God. And we're going to do it by being Christ-focused, not self-focused. We're all into something, right? We're all always into something. You can say to us, so what are you into? Well, I'm into cooking, well, I can bet you, you have a magazine or a book on cooking. 
And someone says, well, I'm into exercise and bodybuilding. I can bet you have some protein on your counter that has a picture of not a wimp on, this, on the cover. It's some buff dude that just took the drink once and just boom. <laughs> Didn't even have to go to the gym. I'm into fashion. Well, I can tell you, you have a magazine that's not rags. You have something. I'm into homemaking. I can tell you what kind of magazine. I'm into new homes and what the new model homes. I can tell you what kind of magazine you have at home. We look at what we want to become. And the Bible says the same thing. We want to become Jesus. We look at Jesus. The transformation process is a big one. It's a compounding process. Paul says, we are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory. Wow. Have you ever thrown a rock into a pond and seen the ripples go out bigger and bigger and bigger? That's ever-increasing. So the work that God is doing in your life is not just a moment. It's a lifetime, but it's, it's getting bigger and bigger. Now, let's look at the word. We finally come to the word that this message is all about, transformation. Here it is in the text. We are being transformed. Metamorpho, from which we get our word metamorphosis. And metamorpho means to change form. Morphos is form. To change form. Now, why is that a big deal? There are many other synonyms Paul could have used, but he chose a big one. Because it would have been too easy for us to say, we're kind of just spiritually, ethereally uh, kind of being changed. But he uses something that sounds very concrete. To change form. And guess what? He's writing to a people that really need to hear it. The Corinthians. The very first time Paul uses this word in 54 AD, writing to the Corinthians, the people he loved that were a pain in the neck, the people that invented every kind of sin imaginable and brought it into the church, the people that invented every kind of heresy and brought it into the church, that he was dealing with everything. Read 1 Corinthians and you'll believe it. Those are the people that he says, God is working in your life. I'm telling you, there's a chance for you. God is working to transform the form of you. And then Paul uses the same word only twice in the New Testament. The second time we'll study next week, Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You know that verse. The third place that this passage, this verse occurs is not in any of Paul's writings, but it's one that you know that you never knew was the word. It's where Jesus is transfigured. In Mark chapter 9 and the other gospels, it tells us Jesus took three disciples up onto a mountain, and while they were on this mountain, Jesus was transfigured. And the word is metamorpho, transformed. 
So it's a big word. It's the idea that you can become someone new. And it's not a small change. And it happens in ever-increasing glory. So whereas Moses only had a short amount of time where he experienced the glory, this experience for you and me is not going away. And the process will finally be complete when we see Jesus face to face. First John chapter three says that. What will, when will this be done? When we see him face to face. Why? Because we will see him as he is. We'll finally see him just as he is. So imagine tomorrow morning you wake up, you go down to the breakfast table and Jesus is sitting there. What happens to your life? Oh my gosh. I know exactly what he's like. We have breakfast together. Well, that's what Paul is intimating. We hang around him, we contemplate him, we re-believe in who he is, and this process is happening. Now, in the old world, they didn't have mirrors like you and I have. I, I kind of wish that I had one of their mirrors now. I, I see myself too clearly in the mirror. Uh, so in the olden days, uh, you pay, paid a lot of money for a really good mirror, but a really good mirror was polished silver. Really bad mirror was just some unpolished metal. And you'd try to see yourself, and, and the more you polished the surface, the more you could see what you really looked like. And that's what Paul is imagining. He uses the same language in 1 Corinthians 13, where he say, we all behold the as through a glass darkly, but then we will see eventually face to face. You and I see Jesus through the polished silver. And as we behold him, the silver gets more and more polished. We see him more clearly. And as we see him more clearly, why did he come and die for you? Why did he come at Christmas time? Why did he, what power raised him from the dead? As I see these things and believe, I realize, wow, I'm being changed to be like him. Now, finally, before we run out of time, transformation is done not by us, aren't you glad? But by the Spirit. It's done by the Spirit of God. He says, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. He's not confusing the persons of the Trinity. He's just letting you know that the Spirit is the Lord as well. He's the Master. It's not just Jesus. It's not just the Father. The Spirit is not just the dog that the, the other two trinities walk and he just wags his tail. No, he is the Lord and as he's working in your life, we want to obey him and follow him. Now, why this is important is the culture we live in, the transforming culture, is largely try harder. And you've done it. I was just listening to an audio book yesterday about my brain and working harder to use my brain better. Um, but almost always, it's try harder, harder. Now that I've written my book, do these 15 things every day for the next 15 years, and you could be amazing. It's like, wow. <laughs> Let's go surfing. 
It's hard. I don't know how to do these things. It's not try harder. It's the Holy Spirit. Zechariah 4, 6 says, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. And Jesus welcomed us at the beginning of his sermon on the mount and said, blessed are the poor in spirit. So it's okay if you're poor in your spiritual aptitude because we have a God who has the power of the Holy Spirit and he's equipping us. And it's important because he comes and he confronts all the images that come out of the self-effort movement of our culture. Because if you succeed in bettering yourself, guess what? When we get to heaven, glory to, you, glory to you. You're amazing. And that's the way it is on this planet. You have more money than anyone. You're amazing. You're smarter than anyone. You're amazing. You have a nicer house than anyone. You're amazing. And if those are all true about you, it's, it has nothing to do with our identity. But when we get to heaven, it's going to be glory to God, right? <laughs> because Who's amazing? He is. God is amazing. So we just cooperate with what the Spirit is doing. And I want to suggest that what the Spirit is doing is bigger than you can imagine. Imagine yourself the most amazing you. And I would say to you, you have a poor, broken imagination. Because the Bible says, I has not seen ear has not heard, neither has it entered into the heart of you the things that God has prepared for you that love him. God wants to do a big, big, big thing in your life and my life. This last summer, Jan and I participated in a wonderful experiment. I encourage you for next year, uh, the butterfly experiment. So we found out that there were some wonderful plants called milkweed that we could plant in our yard and uh, we could attract monarch butterflies. And uh, you know how grandparents are? Well, if one plant does that, why not 15? <laughs> Eight bucks a plant, big deal. It's for my grandkids, you know? So our whole front yard. And then I found out they're attracted to certain blooms as well. <laughs> So my front yard became butterfly world. <laughs> then I found out that there's these little uh, wasps that want to impregnate the, the caterpillar with these parasites that make them die. So, but if you put the plants inside a butterfly uh, cage, there's, they're protected from the wasp. Well, then we need to get two of those and let's put the plants inside there, and the process began. And so every day, sometimes every week, we'd have either grandchildren from down the street or grandchildren drive in to see how the butterflies are doing. And it's an amazing process because what the butterflies are experiencing is metamorpho, changing form. The same as a tadpole to a, a frog. This, it's, it's what's happening in your life. Did you know? I, this doesn't make you excited. I don't know what will, folks. I mean, either I'm on drugs 
or we have not really seen what God is doing in our lives, right? So one day you'll see this caterpillar that just munches on stuff like you, nobody's business. The whole plant can disappear in a night, you know, it's just because he's eating and getting ready to become a chrysalis. But one day you'll see them climb to the top of the cage or the a plant or the eave of your roof and lock themselves into a J position. Now, if you really want the typology, it's the J for Jesus. And uh, <laughs> and they lock themselves into this position. You know, oh my, the cocoon is coming. Get ready. And the cocoon forms. And then there they sit incubating for 10 or 12 days. You can mark your calendar. You're incubating, folks. You are becoming. God is working in your life. But then on that day, you can look at the caterpillars. There's, there's one day we looked at three of them. They said, oh, they look ripe. You can see the color through the chrysalis. We went for a walk. You were old people. We can only walk for 45 minutes before we die, you know? <laughs> so we, we go for a walk. We're back in 45 minutes, and there's three butterflies inside the cage. Yeah, it just, once they're ready, they're ready. And now, they'll never be, they'll never be a caterpillar ever again. Folks, you are becoming something that you just don't spend a lot of time thinking about. But it's time to wake up from this long dream, this long, sometimes nightmare, and, and say, no, the story's true. It's really, 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 really true. And you are one day going to be in character like Jesus. And it's happening now. It's happening now. Let's pray. Lord, thank you this morning for the truth of your word and the possibility and the hope of becoming like you. God, we invite you by your spirit to do a great, great, great work in our lives. We pray this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me? Thanks for listening this week. If you're looking for ways to serve, give, or get connected, please visit our website, northcoastcalvary.org.